Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. Hey, it's Mike G, and I'm in the studio right now, and we're doing another podcast, a tactical review podcast. A lot of guys and gals tune in to our tactical review podcast. I'm live on social media as well, mike.a.glover on my personal, and um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, man. Um, so I've been holding off on this tactical review podcast because there's so many things to discuss. Uh, but a, a couple culmination of uh, things came together and wanted to, to break them all down at the same time. This coronavirus is kicking off, family bug out. Somebody asked me a question about family bug out. Shooting versus tactics, which I, I clearly wanted to define, define on this podcast. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about bugaloos, boogaloos, um, as well as uh, overlanding. Uh, this new SB 1625 bill that Arizona decided to drop, which is asinine, uh, as well as EDC bags, mobility, a little bit of uh, tourniquet and training. We're going to talk about all that stuff here on this latest episode. Uh, I was just over in Colorado. I was actually in Denver, Colorado, training an open enrollment course. We taught pistol and carbine, thanks to the guys and gentlemen at the um, we'll call it the the Denver area. Uh, Colorado SWAT, uh, a whole bunch of guys from a different different departments came out there and trained with me on pistol carbine. Really good event, super windy the first day, but everybody held held their own. Uh, it was a, it was a good time, man. Um, you know, on that on that topic or on that subject about law enforcement, let me just lay this out for you guys. Uh, periodically, on my post on Phil Crow Survival, or if we're talking about. Um, you know, anything tied to government or policy, we often get a lot of people coming out of the woodwork and insulting our law enforcement officers and first responders. And ah, it's just bad, ta- bad taste. And I want to educate those guys and gals who, who somehow, some way have developed this narrative where they think LEO are the problem because they think those men and women are going to be the ones that infringe on their constitutional rights. You know, even uh, in our own little circle, uh, we have men and women who have voiced their opinions. And it's an opinion. I, I get your opinion. But there's a difference between opinion and expressing that opinion and being open to the conversation versus being a person who definitively attacks our law enforcement officers and says they're, they're the enemy. Uh, that's a big difference. That's that to me is that to me is inciting civil war or discourse. And when it comes to law enforcement, who, who I intimately am familiar with, look, I've been training law enforcement since I was in the military. Um, the line that defines me and you is not me training military and law enforcement, and thus you being a civilian who disagrees with that. And then you draw on the line and saying, go fuck yourself. I mean, you can do that uh, to each their own, but I think it's a, a bad precedent. So here's the deal. Policymakers who are politicians um, through a legislative process create laws. These laws can infringe on our constitutional rights. Uh, I'm under the, um, I am under my, my own set of opinions in this, in which you know, and I say that under my own set because it's not a company company protocol. It's not other people's opinions in my company. But I don't think the infringing of any constitutional rights specific to um, uh, our Bill of Rights and our Constitution, 
should be infringed upon. That's number one. Um, a, good, a great example of that is the First Amendment. In other countries throughout the world, Canada and the U- United Kingdom included, the United Kingdom arrested 3,000 people last year because of things that people said on social media. Meaning, if you were attacking somebody because of their sex, religion, race, um, you were calling somebody uh, a bigot, um, and somebody reported you, you could actually be arrested in the United Kingdom. The luxury of being an American in the United States of America is you could say whatever the fuck you want to say, which is convenient. Uh, it also is a, um, there's also been passive discourse that have been created by social media platforms, you know, perpetuating narratives and people's opinions, etc. But we get the opportunity in our country to be able to do and essentially say what the fuck we want as long as it lies in our rights within the Constitution and our amendments. Um, I believe that any regulation of firearms is over-regulating. I mean, I just just don't get it. Like, if you're a law-abiding citizen and you haven't done anything wrong, um, meaning you haven't committed violent acts, um, you're not a criminal with a criminal history, then you should be able to own uh, a firearm. I actually think that in, in prison reform, if you serve your time, your your record should be completely um, um, dissolved. You shouldn't have a criminal record because that criminal record, as long as you're not a violent offender, I'm not talking about murderers and rapists, violent offenders. I'm talking about if you committed a felony or misdemeanor um, and you have a record, well, you can't get a fucking job because you're going to be um, essentially uh, you know, pigeonholed into a situation where you're trying to defend yourself and if you show up to a, a and after you've done your time, more than likely you're not going to get that job when compared to somebody uh, who hasn't committed a crime. So if you do your time, I think that should be. Uh, I think the word's expunged. A, 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 a Maybe that's the fucking word. I don't know. Oh yeah, expunged. Look at you, orgasmic recoil on uh, on uh, my social media. So completely expunging that would would be the path that I, w- I would want to do. Just because I have an opinion on something doesn't mean it's the end-all, be-all. And I could be swayed on that opinion because I want the conversation. Like I say something like that, right? Because I believe that um, there's a lot of people who make mistakes because we all make mistakes. Uh, There's a a thin line between us and uh, the justice system, which regulates the laws. And this is a great example in the Second Amendment. If you create a law in a state overnight where people who own specific types of weapons, including assault-style weapons, uh, which we'll get that into that more later, you immediately become a felon overnight. So then those people who get arrested who become felons, do I think their record should be expunged after they do their time? Yes. And, and I also think that an unconstitutional uh, law should not be implemented or executed, meaning enforced, by any law enforcement officer. So there are going to be law enforcement officers who just do what they do. They don't give a shit about the Constitution. They don't care about um, um, uh, unlawfully or un, not unlawfully, unconstitutionally regulating or enforcing a law because they're just doing what they would say is their job. Well, I don't, I don't agree with those kind of people. If, if a law enforcement officer, which I will remind you, are the middle class, law enforcement officers are your neighbors, 
and your I grew up poor. My my father was uh, uh, worked in the the prison system uh, in law enforcement. We consider that law enforcement in the state of Florida. He worked at Tomoka State Prison for damn near twenty plus years after his military service. Uh, he became a detective doing investigations internal to all uh, prisons in the state of Florida. My father and I grew up poor. I grew up in a mobile trailer park. So the sheriffs that were his friends, the state patrolmen that were his friends, grew up in the same neighborhoods that I grew up. We weren't uh, rich, and they aren't rich. Law enforcement officers are cut from the same fabric that we're cut from. There is a large percentage of law enforcement officers who serve our communities, who are military. So when you say, fuck law enforcement, uh, boogaloo this, boogaloo that, and they are the enemy, you have a very disassociative um, way of looking at life. You just can't blanket and say what the fuck you want to. And, the, and absolutely, you can. And herein lies one, one of the issues is um, you can say whatever the fuck you want to say, and that's fine. But I'm not going to agree with you or, or push your agenda because I think it's wrong. I think law enforcement officers, uh, if you saw Virginia, for example, where the majority, the overwhelming majority of sheriffs in that, count, in that state by county um, declared uh, Second Amendment sanctuaries for their counties and, and swore an oath to the Constitution and to the people in which they police and, and said openly, most of them said openly, they wouldn't enforce those laws. So, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I'll also tell you that uh, on that, they're first responders who risk their lives every single day. I mean, I, I hold law enforcement and first responders, I'm, I'm not excluding anybody, even dispatchers, they're, they live in a world where they're responding to traumatic events that we don't want to fucking deal with as civilians. So when you get in a car accident, who are you going to call? You're just going to sit on the side of the road and bleed out? Well, hopefully you've listened to us and, and are prepared to deal or manage with your first immediate response, but you're absolutely going to get responded to by first responders in your community. They are going to show up and they're going to help you. And they're potentially going to risk their lives to help you or save your ass. Uh, if you're in a, a mall and an active shooting kicks off, who the fuck's running through that door? That guy who makes $39,950 a year who gets shit on by his community because they don't understand the context of that person's role and job, they're getting shit on. But he's coming in there, she's coming in there to save their asses. So let's respect our first responders and let's understand that there will be no circumstance no circumstance where the, the U.S. government um, would unconstitutionally go in and confiscate guns without the American people stopping them. Um, Virginia is a great example of that. Look, we, we had a march in Virginia where we peacefully protested as Second Amendment um, um, constitutionalist and held a position a peaceful position where we, we let the government know that's not going to happen. That's one of the whole points of, uh, of assembling and protesting. So, look, I'm not saying that there's not a possibility of some things going bad, 
but I, I know law enforcement intimately. I know the men and women who serve in law enforcement. I deal with them every single day. I train them for a living, and I'm not training them to come and take your guns. Um, that's not going to fucking happen, um, period. Let's talk about the coronavirus because this thing is kicking America and the world in the dick. I've actually got a couple emails from a couple people who stated recently that they thought that it was part of a maybe a, a government program where China went into the province of um, that province. I, I got to find it here. Uh, Wuhan province and potentially infected their own people. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't put it past the Chinese government at all. The, the Chinese government have done some shady shit. Um, they're known to infringe on constitutional or on uh, personal liberties and human rights. So I wouldn't put it past them to do anything. Uh, I'm not stating that that's a fact because I haven't seen anything that looks like facts in that. But um, let's let's figure it out. Here's what we know. An additional 65 people on board the Diamond Princess, which is a uh, cruise ship, uh, have tested positive for the new coronavirus. Japan's health ministry bringing, um, says bringing the total number to 135 of people, 135 people who are known to have been infected. Pressure is mounting to test everyone on the ship. Yeah, no shit. The ship has been quarantined, um, and we're, we're talking about potentially testing everybody. Like, that's a no-brainer. China reports 908 deaths. This is a recent report as of today. Um, 908 deaths and about 40,000 cases of coronavirus. On Sunday alone, 97 people died. Um, in one day, Sunday, which is yesterday, 97 people died. The highest daily death toll since the outbreak began. Almost 6,500 of the affected patients were in critical condition. Critical condition. This is a problem. So far, um, I mean, it took us a while to announce that this coronavirus was a public health epidemic and we needed to take serious. I mean, we lulled for a long period of time. I'm assuming with the um, the the uh, CDC, Center for Disease Control, um, has a protocol for how they do this. But it's like, man, uh, you think we'd be jumping the gun in response and preparedness a little earlier on than where we're at right now. Britain announced new measures allowing the mandatory quarantine of those infected after the coronavirus outbreak was designated a serious and imminent threat to British health. That took a while. Four more cases were confirmed in Britain, doubling its total number to eight. So a lot of us don't think that's a big deal, but it's a big deal. New Chinese research says the virus can be transmitted by saliva, urine, and stool, as well as the usual viral route of respiratory droplets, which comes in a cough, a sneeze. Uh, it generally takes three days from the time of infection for symptoms to manifest, and 15% of the infected contract severe pneumonia. This is what's killing people. 15% of those infected contracting pneumonia is what's leading to um the big health epidemic of casualties and fatalities that you're seeing. Second government chartered flight evacuating Canada leaves Wuhan. A second government chartered flight evacuating Canadians from the epicenter of the coronavirus outbreak in China has departed. This is the second one. Officials conduct regular health checks of those quarantined in Trenton, uh, and the United States is doing the same. In fact, there's been uh, several installations that have been talking about using um, the base as a quarantine uh, uh, home of operation, including Fort Carson. I was actually in Colorado when 
I heard the news that Fort Carson would be uh, addressing this. So, look, I don't. Here's what I don't like, and and a lot of people, even uh, some people who are talking about this, a lot of people are downgrading this circumstance or situation because uh, we're comparing it to other things in life. That's I've done that. I've been guilty of that myself. Like when we're talking about guns. I could say, look, the 40,000 people who have been killed with guns a year, 60% of those are suicides. I, I often put that out because I don't want the gun um, uh, Nazis to act like the guns are killing people. It's people killing people. In fact, it's people killing themselves with guns. That's the biggest problem. So... Um, I don't want to pick and choose statistics when it comes to this, and I don't want to compare it to anything else, but I have been guilty of that. I would say state that, yes, in comparison to the normal flu, in comparison to other things like traffic accidents, heart disease, cancer, etc., it doesn't even come close. But does that mean we ignore something that is seemingly, seemingly growing as an epidemic? So it started out 42,760 people have been uh, infected with the coronavirus. That's as of today. Total of 1,013 deaths and 4,097 have recovered, meaning they have gotten through the window of uh, pneumonia and everything else. When we break that view down by country, China has the most number of cases at 42,299. That's ginormous. But let's look at the United States. When we compare it to, uh, first, let's look at the uh, um, other countries that have been affected, like Japan, Singapore, and Hong Kong. That Their numbers are pretty high in comparison to the United States at 12. We have 12 total. But in that 12, only three have recovered. And they didn't report this, but there has been an American that was in China who passed away from pneumonia. Um, is it a problem? Yes. Here's here's how I look at it, man. Um I don't think, I don't think um, a lot of people understand that the biggest pandemic that has affected us uh, the most um, has been in recent history. In recent history, um, we had as many as 600,000 Americans that were killed, and the estimate is um, 50 million people killed worldwide worldwide so we're talking about a flu pandemic which um i know many people don't disagree with me on this it seems that uh the anti-vaxxers the people who don't like giving vaccines to people um one of the big reasons scientifically that's been noted of why we aren't dying by the millions from epidemics or pandemics like the flu um is because of vaccines. Yes, it's it's because of vaccines. Um, now, do I agree that, you know, look, I'm, I'm not going to say, I work for the government forever, right? And I remember when I had to go to, to war and I went to war and I came back from war and I wanted to go to war again with my, my group or my detachment. And they told me, Mike, you got to get, um, you got to get a vaccine. You're going to get anthrax. And I was like, uh, nah, I'm good, man. I don't want you to inject 
Um, I don't want you to inject a vaccine in me that has anthrax in it. Um, hey, Mike, we have this uh, antiviral medication called mefloquine, which is going to prevent you from getting um, sick overseas. And we're going to give you this, and you're going to take it every Monday. We call it mefloquine Mondays. Both cases, I didn't want to do it. But I knew what would happen if I didn't. I knew that uh, I would get potentially sick and potentially die, especially when you're operating overseas in these infested, um, contaminated areas. Dude, I was in Niger, Africa once and got an upper respiratory infection from breathing the air. Why? Well, if you've ever been to Africa, they don't have good sanitation and a good system for uh, localizing feces uh, and urine because uh, they don't have a sewage system. So you'll see Africans standing on the side of the road and shitting on the side of the road. Well, when you poop on the side of the road and then the dust kicks up that poop into the air, you literally breathe shit. And then you get sick. So yeah, it's real easy to say you don't want specific things because of your your you know your even your religious beliefs. You don't want certain things because of where you live. Well, you don't live in an area that's infested with disease and virus. Uh, you live somewhere that's pretty safe. And so, if the means of you justifying why you're not getting sick is because you're not getting the vaccine. Uh, I beg to differ because I've been in combat and I've been in austere environments, including Yemen, Pakistan, Libya, Niger, Africa, the list goes on. And if you are in those environments and you don't have vaccines and you don't have proper medication and you haven't taken the necessary steps to prevent it, you'll just simply fucking die. I, I, I got severe, uh, a severe upper respiratory infection from breathing the air. Uh, it almost took me out. Like it literally almost took me out where I had to go inside the hospital for a day. Um, and it was brutal. In 1918 to 1919, this is 1918. This is 100 years ago. In the United States, it was the first identified, it was first identified in military personnel in spring of 1918. It is estimated that about 500 million people or one third of the world's population became infected. The number of deaths was estimated to be at least 50 million people were killed. 675,000 of those people were in the United States of America. 100 years ago, 675,000 people died in the span of one year from the flu. From the flu. The mortality rate was high in people younger than 5 and 20 to 40 and 65 or older, including those in the 20 to 40 age group. Um, there was a high mortality in healthy people. What was unique about the pandemic was that in 1918, H1N1 virus had been synthesized and evaluated. The properties that made it so devastating are not well understood. With no vaccine to protect against influenza infection and no antibiotics to treat Secondary bacterial infections that can be associated with influenza infections, control efforts worldwide were limited to non-pharmaceutical interventions such as isolation, quarantine, good personal hygiene, use of disinfectants, and limitations of public gatherings, which were applied unevenly, and H1N1, which is what I had. I just had H1N1 for the first time in my life, which is type A, the, the type A flu of H1N1. 
uh, otherwise known as, I believe they call it the bird flu. Uh, it's, it's been called a few names. Um, but it, it wiped me out, um, but I was able to get medication, including uh, antiviral medication. But it nearly uh, killed, or it did kill 675,000 people. Um, it's been called the swine flu. It's been called the Spanish flu. It's been called uh, the bird flu. Uh, H1N1, I believe. Oh, swine flu. I'm sorry. The guys are saying swine flu. Um, so yeah, very, very recent history that this completely affected us. Um, look, I was asked recently about shooting versus tactics and some things that I discussed with the law enforcement officers that I was training started to come together. And let me express to you the difference between shooting and tactics because there is such a definitive difference between shooting and tactics. Shooting is a very small component to a law enforcement officer, a special operations guy, um, a guy who lives by the gun, guy or gal who lives by the gun. Shooting is a very small component in the overall skill sets that should be learned or honed, but it's super important, obviously. Because when you're shooting a gun in a scenario uh, which involves defending your life or defending human life, uh, you better come to the table with uh, a, a efficient and effective, meaning accurate and fast skill sets. But the difference between shooting and tactics is very, very different. The greatest example of this is when you set up a we'll call it a maze of targets. Let's call it paper and steel. When you set up that uh, paper and steel and you're running around shooting these, this paper and steel, there's nothing in your mind or nothing in your uh, cognition that's required of you in deciding whether or not these targets need to be shoot or engaged. It is rare the case in any tactical scenario or real-life circumstance that you can get away with running around and shooting everything you see. So anything that looks like a person, you shoot and engage. The exception to that is the zombie apocalypse, um, video games, basically fantasy. So even in a circumstance, let's say, where there's an active shooter or a group of active shooters shooting... You wouldn't be able to just run around and shoot everything you see. What's missing as a component to that? Well, the biggest missing components are one, the acquisition of the target or the, or the acquisition of the, of the uh, we'll call it target because it, you haven't identified as a threat yet. So you're acquiring a target, meaning you're taking your weapon system and aligning it. You might get front sight focus. You might get alignment. Um, and then in that acquisition period, you're going through a cognitive process of identifying whether the target is a threat or non-threat or friend or foe or name whatever you want, good or bad. So in that process, which is using a lot of brain power because you're cognitively identifying the threat as a threat through hands or a non-threat through hands, you're making a decision to, to engage that threat or not. That whole entire thing I just described is, a, is the difference between shooting and tactics, 
right? Acquisition and then identifying friend or foe, and then there's an engagement. Well, that process is not easy. That process is the most difficult thing that we teach in tactics. You go into a shoot house and you have targets, a myriad of targets. You'll have shoots and no shoots, good guys and bad guys. And you have to decide in a short period of time whether or not you're going to engage a target based on your acquisition and based on your identification or a friend or foe, good or bad. So the problem is when you train yourself to shoot, and that's all you do, not acquire, um, which is a part of shooting, right? Acquisition you would think is a part of shooting. But the reason I define acquisition in this process and, and set it separate um, because the acquisition process is a visual um, process in which you identify whether the target is friend or foe. Let me give you an example. If you come into a room and you drive your gun to a target, a target is something you haven't identified, identified it as a friend or foe. And when you do that, if you, if you initially drove your eyes to the front sight or drove your eyes to the red dot, and you didn't get target focused, then how would you identify the threat? There are some people who, when they shoot USPSA, for example, if the targets are very close, they'll just get front sight focus, for example. If it's a, if it's a still match um, and you're shooting small six-inch poppers, they might just get front sight alignment or focus. But inherently, that's the difference between shooting paper and still and shooting real people. When you acquire a target, you have to identify the target's intent, and then propensity to uh, become a threat. You could walk into a room and there's a guy with a baseball bat. Okay, well, the guy has a baseball bat. He doesn't have a gun and he hasn't pointed the gun at you. Is he immediate threat or is he just a potential threat? Those things need to be clearly defined and worked through. That's why tactics exist as they exist. So if you're a person who teaches people to run around and shoot, but you're trying to interweave tactics without definitively expressing why we do what we do, then you're creating a dangerous precedent. Because if I just get myself used to running into situations without acquisition, without target identification, and I'm just blazing targets down, which represent people, then what are you practicing for? You're not practicing for um, a real-life scenario, you're not practicing for the active shooter, you're practicing for the zombie apocalypse. The difference is this isn't a fucking TV show. This isn't a video game. This is real life. So when I was in special operations and we hired a shooter who was a USPSA grandmaster typically, who was a professional shooter, they would come in and teach us how to shoot. But they wouldn't teach us how to conduct tactics. Because there is a broad and definitive difference between the two. So can you do both? Yes, you could do both. But I, what I, I see a lot of people doing is one, comparing shooters to tacticians. If you're a shooter, because you run around shooting paper and still very efficiently and effectively, I'm not fucking impressed. I don't really care. I'm not impressed. Because it's very easy to teach a person to do that. So... There's a difference, and I don't want you to be confused by the, by the, uh, the two. I have people in my network who we work with 
uh, who are USPSA masters and grandmasters who we train with. I'll have Dan Horner on the podcast uh, next week. Dan Horner is one of the best shooting uh, USPSA practical shooters in the world. Uh, But there's a big difference between a shooter who's effective on paper and still, and then the tactical process and moving through a real-world scenario that's changing rapidly, where you have to identify friend from foe, where it's not as easy as cocking a set of targets, setting them up, and then you shooting the array. It's very, it's very much more complex than that. Simunitions, UTM is the closest that you can get to that. In fact, that's why we've progressed or evolved our training where we'll be offering UTM and SIMS because it's really the only way that you could ensure that you create the cognitive uh, efficiency and processing information uh, in training. I didn't realize this until I started doing SIMS training or, or doing UTM training. SIMS, so you understand simunitions, is actually a company, so is UTM, but essentially it is simulated training using fake rounds where you have an effect on the, you know, on the target and you have an effect on the incoming of, of the engagement. Uh, it changes a lot of things about how we think about shooting versus tactics. Because in shooting, you can get away with whatever you want because you're, you're, you're not catering or adapting or evolving or changing based on what the enemy's doing. But in tactics, you are. So if you, sh- if you set up an array of targets where you're just shooting them offensively, that's very different from the tactical considerations of having bad guys that can shoot back. This isn't me saying this. I mean, uh, Dave Grossman, or not yeah, Dave Grossman, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, identified this in simulations training and on combat and on killing. He talked about it specifically, how when these law enforcement officers or these military guys were getting shot and they had effects from being shot, it changed the parameters of how they thought in mindset and how they thought in tactics. I taught uh, law enforcement um, I taught law enforcement uh, recently, and we were working through training scenarios. And some of the training scenarios we were working through was white light, for example, and why people use white lights versus not using white lights. If you're a bad guy hiding in the shadows or the darkness of a room and you're intent on killing, uh, in this case, the good guy, how easy would it be for you to accomplish that? Very easy because you're shooting the lights. Your only visual point of reference, visual point of reference, is what you see. And if four SWAT officers enter that room with lights blazing, strobing from their guns, and only being able to identify what they see in front of them via the strobe because they've already ruined their night vision, at least with 500 lumens they have, then they're going to get shot. And so there's a big difference uh, between flowing through a room with white lights, with targets, or with um, paper versus having the effects of what simulated bad guy role players would do behaviorally with simunition or simulated firearms. It would be a very different consideration. Um, And and that, to me, is, is how I express the difference between the two. You should train on both of those skill sets. Uh, I think tactics, uh, 
are inherently important, especially tying shooting into the tactics, because uh, you just teach yourself to manipulate and execute information faster. You're receiving all this information, um, and then you're creating a protocol or understanding what you're going to do with that information and how you're going to execute your skill sets. If I go into a room and identify a threat and I've practiced identifying threats via their hands, I'm looking for hands, I become more efficient at that, and then I've already acquired the target and alignment, now I could transition and delivering the rounds where they need to be. And that's, that's a big difference. Um, so, on that subject, <laughs> on that subject, let's talk about the boogaloos. Like, I looked up boogaloos. I didn't even know what the boogaloos uh, meant. I, I, somebody told me, I said, hey, what is... I'm hearing I'm hearing all this stuff with uh, the boogaloos and there's a whole bunch of people who hashtag that and what does that mean? And I actually Googled it, uh, I Wikipedia'd it. And if you Google boogaloos or Wikipedia it, um, it's actually like a dance or something. It's like a Latin American dance. I, admit, I don't even want to offend Latin America because it might not be Latin America. It's a it's a dance. Um, but boogaloos believe that there's going to be a civil war, and when you ask me in the context of preparedness and survival, do I think that we, we are in a changing and evolving uh, progressive time in our, our lives uh, and that there's a chance of things falling apart, I would agree with that statement. Never before in our history have we have had such access of information at the same time that could be manipulated. I mean, you talk about um, Russian interference in elections. There's entire operational cells dedicated to manipulating information and causing uh, chaos and strife in our society. But that hasn't changed. That's always been the case. The spy versus spy nation versus nation, foreign service versus versus foreign service. That's always been the case. But the difference now is it's elevated and it's, it's, it's so vastly different because of the amount of influence that you could generate via technology, via social media, via the interwebs. So that movement of information, um, that chaos could instantaneously self-destruct our, our nation with just a few actions. I actually outlined this. I did a podcast on like the five steps to chaos or five steps to the end of our world. And I tell people, listen, the political divide in this nation has become a toxic part of our society. It's almost like a game. It's a sport, really. If you're, if you're red, if you're blue, if you're on the right, if you're on the left, if you're woke, if you're unwoke, um, you pick a side. But if you're on the other side, then you're the enemy. If, you're, uh, if you don't agree with my political affiliations or political beliefs, then you're the enemy. Recently, I saw a Democratic debate, and I, I like to stay tuned into politics. Um, I, I, I tuned into a political debate, and the question was asked from somebody in the audience, who, which said, hey, listen... I am a pro-life uh, individual. I'm Democrat. I'm a, I'm a Democrat. 
And there's 21 million Democrats who are pro-life. I, I didn't know that until he said something. And he said, your party is pro-choice. Is there any common ground here that we could talk and engage in order for us to move forward, knowing that our position is very um, divisive? And the Democrat on the stage, I won't even mention his name because I don't, I don't know it and it's, it doesn't matter in this circumstance. But he said, no. He said, my party believes this way and I stand with my party. Even what, what, what I took away from that is I believe, man, this guy actually might not even believe this, but because his party's affiliated with it, then he's just going to go with his party and then stand with everybody in his party, even if it means saying, go fuck yourself, 21 million Democrats who believe in pro-choice. Um, or I'm sorry, 21 Democrats who believe in pro-life. And if you ask me the political, I'll get a little political here. I am pro-life. Um, because in the reason I'm pro-life is because in the pro-choice, uh, it, it is banking on no government interference, which I don't believe the government should interfere in many things. But if it means protecting a life, which in my opinion is a life, um, even if it means killing that baby at nine months, on the, the left side of this argument, they're okay with that as long as the choice is made by the woman. There's women who are getting, there are women and people, um, but there are women getting uh, pregnant who don't even have the aptitude or understanding of, their, of the consequence of their actions because they grew up in certain circumstances where um, they were battered, they were abused, they were uh, neglected. And you're telling me you're going to give that decision after you, we've determined that there is a life in that person that at seven and nine months, even at nine months, even while in labor giving birth, they could decide to terminate that person. I don't think that's the right decision to make. But this is what I mean. We are letting a political party or affiliation determine our beliefs and values, not believing what we believe as people with character. Like I grew up with certain values and ethics, and I believe a certain way. I never grew up in that system that said, because you're a conservative, because you're a Republican, then you have to believe this certain way. But now we can't even have our own values and ideals unless they're politically affiliated. And then if they're, they aren't politically affiliated, we shun the other side. We say, fuck you. We're not, because you don't agree with this one component of the party, we don't even agree with you as people and we'll go against you every single time. That's unfortunate because I think, one, we're shutting down and degrading a large portion of our society when we should have the discussion and we should come to terms. This is called moderation. But there is no place in politics for moderates, for even independents. Because if you're an independent, you're an outlier. And we don't like outliers because we want them politically affiliated. So we won't support them with money. We won't support them with uh, 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 a group support. We won't give them the airtime in debates. And that's a huge problem. Tulsi Gabbard, for example, is a Democrat. Uh, I'm an independent, by the way. And I, I'm pretty right of center, whatever the fuck that means. 
Uh, I just have to say that because I guess I have to identify politically with people. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is a moderate. She's shunned by her the Democratic Party. She's somebody who should be representing the people of this country who should have a voice, but the media is shutting her down. In the last Democratic debate, they wouldn't even let her get airtime because she's moderate. She's too evenly kiln for them. And that's a fucking problem. Because now, everything needs to be fringe. If you're not extreme on one side or the other, then you can't have a position. Um, you can't have the role of being a policymaker. Because you have to get the likes. You have to get the attention, which drives the revenue, etc. So, you have people like... Beto O'Rourke from Texas, who's a Democrat, who says, we're going to take your guns. We're going to take your AR-15s. Really? That's interesting. That's a really fringe fucking thing to say. Because that's what, uh, that's what fucking Russians would say. That's what, the, that's what Saudi Arabia would say to their people. That's what Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi said to their people before they became, before, before they became um, uh, turned out and upside down and inside out um, by people rising against tyrannical governments. So what direction are we headed in when we decide we want to be fringe? Boogaloo's, this whole movement in Boogaloo's, to me is inciting violence, inciting a agenda. Uh, I just think, you know, speaking openly, a lot of fucking people want to see us go to fucking war. I think that's dumb. Um, I don't want to go to a fucking war with my neighbors. I don't want to go to war with Americans. Remember the feeling on September 12th when you woke up and uh, you, went, you went to work and you realized that the world had changed and we stood together, united, because we had a September 12th mentality? What did September 10th look like? We were fucking complacent. We were divided. We were divisive against each other. And then one day in one action, this tragedy that happened on 9-11 brought us together. And now, here we are again. Here we are again fringe movements and boogaloos and fucking leftist socialists and fucking fringe actors on each side have to be fringe and have to be provocative and exotic. I'm happy with being right down the fucking middle. You know why? Because I want to get up. I want to go do my fucking job. I want to have fun doing it. I want to live in a peaceful society that's as a law-abiding citizen. I want to go buy my fucking shotgun. I want to go buy my AK-47, go to the range. I want to shoot on the range, I want to drink good beer, and I want to live a fucking happy life. That's what I want, and uh, some of us don't want that. Um, ooh, there's some arguments going on in my, uh, in my feed right here. What have we got going on here, guys? Uh, let's see. We got a guy named Nadal who's talking about Russia, and I get it, man, but I'm going to hide that lie from you, buddy. Yeah, a little bit too dramatic for me. Uh, and then people are saying, Rick, put down the meth pipe. What is Rick saying? Let's go in here. Rick, 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 Rick. I don't see what Rick's saying. Rick, your dad is, let's not say that on a podcast. Hey, gay. Rick, Rick, Jamie, you are, okay, Rick, Russia is that. Oh, Jamie. Okay, I'll let Rick hang out. All right, guys, and uh, let's talk about a couple other things. Uh, bug out. Man, family bug out. Family considerations for bug out is a good one. Um. I, I don't talk about my government contract job with the CIA often. Uh, one, I don't. One, I have a lot of NDAs in place. 
uh, non-disclosure agreements with that job, and I won't talk specifics, uh, especially when it comes to tactics, techniques, and procedures. But I think about family bug out in that job and role that I had with the government where I had to protect people. And if, you're, if you come from an executive protection background or a bodyguard background or a contracting background, background where your job is to protect people, the same considerations tactically apply to family bug out. Why? Because in your family, you want people to be enablers. You want people to be um, value, a, valued assets, right, to, to the cause. Because if you're trying to defend your life, for example, and your wife's not trained, then you're taking one gun out of the fight. If you get in a vehicle accident and your leg's bleeding and your arms are broken and your wife doesn't understand how to apply a tourniquet because she's not trained, then she's not a, value, a valued asset. Um, and, and now you're in a, a, a bad situation that's just became worse because you didn't cross train. What's important about family bug out is understanding that both parties, you know, uh, m- male and female, the couple should cross train in skill sets. That's why I love Del- Daryl and Carissa. They're, they're family friends. Uh, Daryl and Carissa, uh, Carissa owns, uh, the mobile health doc and she's a, a doctor, Daryl's a, uh, uh, a pilot, a former fighter pilot, uh, now in the reserves, but also an airline pilot. Both of them train together in tactics and shooting and combatives and med and trauma. And that's a power couple because they could facilitate everything that goes wrong and support each other. They could facilitate movement. They could facilitate fighting off the X. They could uh, facilitate breaking their family uh, out of the X. Uh, they could do everything right because they are cross-trained and they know to, how to mutually support each other. That's the first thing you need to do is just because you have a skill set as an individual, maybe you're the man of the house, um, doesn't mean you can't cross-train your, your spouse or have your, your spouse come with you to training, which I have many couples that come and train with us. Um, in addition to that, especially with kids, this is where wherein lies the biggest issue, because now you have children who are incapable of doing specific things. Like if you have infants, they're not going to be able to defend life. That'd be real cool if they could, but more than likely, they are going to be the ones that you have to pr- protect and defend. Some of the principles that we stand on um, in special operations, when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially reacting to a threat or self-defense is you have to gain fire superiority, which means you have to focus on security first. Meaning, let's say you're in a parking lot and your spouse gets robbed at gunpoint and gets shot. What's the first thing that you're going to do? Well, if you think that you're going to go treat her wounds uh, and ensure that she's okay as a first, you'd be wrong. Because if you go to treat her wounds and the threat hasn't been eliminated or you haven't mitigated the threat, then you're just going to get shot and be laying next to her injured as well. That goes for vehicle accident. That goes for natural disaster. That goes for anything. So security is the number one thing you should think about. For example, if you're in a situation where maybe you're in an accident and you're in the middle of the highway where cars are going by you 70 miles an hour while you're 
car is destroyed in the middle of an intersection. I've been there before, actually. It's sick, sick, to, sick to see where you have people who just don't give a shit and they just bypass you. Then focusing on that person's injuries in the danger area uh, would be a mistake. Many people have been killed by getting out of their cars, going to address as a first responder their wounds, uh, and then being killed themselves by another car not paying attention, uh, a car exploding, whatever the, whatever the, the, uh, the scenario is, insert it there. So the first thing that needs to take place is securing the scene or the situation. So when you have kids, defending life is important and then focused on defending the children is important. Uh, there's some good videos out there. There's one video, I think that Gunfu Fighter, my buddy Mason put it up on his page. He, he has two pages, Gunfu Fighter and Gunfu Fighting. He might have put it on Gunfu Fighting. But one of the, the videos he put out was the, the father retained the child as an infant, clo- uh, hugging them close to their chest while they were engaging the threat. Well, in that circumstance, being that they were in a convenience store and he was you know, being confronted with a firearm and he had to defend life, he turned out his body, basically um, um, putting his chest in front of the child best he could and defending life with a pistol. Those circumstances and those situations are going to have to work through the best that you can. You wouldn't take that child and throw him on the tile floor and then and then uh, risk the child's life in that, in that situation, especially when you only have milliseconds to defend life. So setting a protocol for understanding uh, you and your spouse will be defending human life first and securing the situation or the scenario is important. But you can mutually support each other. Meaning you could get in front of the threat as being the one who's closest to that threat and then swap out the spouse vice versa and then have the other person's role in good task organization as the one moving back to the children to secure them and get them off the X. Obviously working together um, uh, will be beneficial. You know, taking each other's skill sets that are even and one person defending life and one person defending the people who can't defend their lives by getting them off the X uh, as soon as possible. You have to work in conjunction with each other. That's the same for first aid. You're in a major vehicle accident. One person could be working first aid while the other person works to direct traffic. One person um, who's not injured could get the children and get them out of the danger area or the kill zone, out of the middle of the intersection, get them somewhere safe up and away from other cars, other vehicles, maybe in grass, maybe across the highway, uh, get them out of the kill zone, and then focus on working the uh, traumatic injury. This needs to go hand in hand in family bug out. I will tell you that once you developed a plan, it is super important that you implement the plan and rehearse the plan constantly. If you don't do that, um, then you're going to be in a bad circumstance. Because um, a lot of people like to talk about plans of action or maybe train a plan of action once, but they don't have it instilled into the culture. I've seen it happen with the agency. I've seen it happen with the military where we practice this reactive contact because it's part of the foundation of our training, but we don't rehearse it constantly as a protocol. Well, And then when it kicks off, how, how efficient do you think it's going to turn out? Not very. It's, gonna, it's not going to be efficient at all. 
Uh, some of the, the comments on here on Instagram, I like to highlight these. Prepare for the most likely risk first, accident, fire, injury, and crime. I don't think Boogaloo is actually a risk. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with the, the, the pace consideration, which I'll, fi- I'll close out Family Bug Out in the pace. The PACE plan is an acronym called Primary Alternate Contingency and Emergency. It is the idea and then the implementation of that idea in in tactically that every single primary plan will have a contingency plan, not just brief, uh, not just briefed, but serviced and supported. It's nice to say, yeah, uh, my ham radio is my contingency. My primary is my cell phone, my alternate is my... Uh, Motorola and my contingency is my ham radio. Do you have a ham radio? Have you done a combo check on your ham radio? Do you have a call sign for your ham radio? Who are you communicating on your ham radio? Well, in outlining your pace plan and then attaching the service and support that's required to make sure that happens allows you the ability to flex to a contingency plan um, efficiently and effectively. What not just saying it and briefing well, but actually executing well. That's important. Uh, Somebody said, as a fireman, I feel like it makes uh, me more nervous on a vehicle accident on the highway than most structure fires I'm on. Seems like people don't know how to slow down. That's true, man. I've I've been on the scene of RV fires and vehicle accidents where people have driven by me at 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, flicking me off, saying, fuck you, get out of the road. It's like, I just helped like this dude. I'm fighting a fire, trying to put out a fire on a, uh, a massive RV and you have people driving by um, that are trying to fucking, you know, I don't know what it is, man. Maybe they're boogaloos. I don't know what the fuck it is. Um, oh, man. I can't wait to get the comments from the fucking boogaloos. I don't even know what a bo- I don't know if it's, is boogaloo a movement or is it a person who thinks that the there's going to be a civil war? Like if I say, Hey, fuck you, Boogaloo. Am I saying fuck you to the movement or am I saying fuck you to the person who thinks there's going to be a civil war? Or is that a person? Uh, Very confused with that. So Arizona just recently um, released a a new Arizona bill, a proposal. Um, Guys uh, on Instagram, I apologize, but thank you for tuning in. There's a minute and 20 seconds remaining. Um, It's an event, not a person. Okay, see, I fucked up, man. So... Is there a chance of a, a, a boogaloo or a civil war happening? Yes, there is. Um, but don't be part of a movement. Don't don't identify with a movement. Identify as a good person. Identify as a as a uh, 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 a human being, as a first responder, as a fucking athlete, or whatever. But don't identify as a a movement or an event that you think is going to happen, because it just makes you look fucking dumb. I, I think you make a lot of bad decisions in that. It's like people who identify with traumatic events in their life. It's like, yeah, I get it. It happened. You could use it as a, as a lesson learned, but don't identify as that. That's not who you are. Um, be a good person. Go to work. Be that person. Be a good father. Be a good husband. Don't be a boogaloo. Nobody likes a boogaloo. Thanks for tuning in Instagram. Thank you so much, guys. You, got, you guys tuned in to the, uh, an hour of the podcast. This will be dropped soon. I appreciate you guys always tuning in, and uh, I'm going to continue on the podcast. I'll share this for you guys, for you boogaloos out there. Uh, who want to hang out. Thank you so much. Have a good day, guys. So getting back to this, (laughs) this is awesome. Bill, this new bill was proposed in Arizona. It's called SB 1625. And I was turned on to this. People started texting me 
And I always want to be tied into the political movements that affect constitutional rights, uh, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment. Any amendment, um, any constitutional right, um, I'm super hostile against people, especially government officials and politicians who are trying to encroach or impede uh, those rights that are inherent to all men and women in the United States of America. But they, they titled this bill, it's called Assault Weapons Magazines Prohibition Registration. The spectrum is, it's a partisan bill. All Democrats, 12 to 0. Uh, it was read the second time, SB 1625, in the Senate in the state of Arizona. It was introduced by these senators, Rios, Austin, Bradley, Contreras, D'Alessandro, Gonzalez, Mendez, Neverte, Atando, Pescala, Quezada, and Steele. And I apologize because uh, I probably hacked half of those, um, but you get the point. It's, it's all the Democrats essentially um, voted this. Title 13, Chapter 31, Arizona Revised Statutes. If you want to look into this, what you could do is just Google SB 1625 Arizona, and it will pop up. So listen, this is what they decided to do. They said they want to make it unlawful to manufacture, import, possess, purchase, sell, transfer any assault weapons or large capacity magazines, um, and they're going to cause all these issues uh, by outlining this, and and I'll, I'll explain. First, they define a person, corporation, or entity um, may not manufacture, import, possess, purchase, sell, transfer any assault weapon or large capacity magazine. A government officer, agent, or employee, a member of the armed forces, or U.S. or peace officer, to that extent that person is otherwise authorized to acquire or possess an assault weapon or large capacity mag or both, and does so while acting within the scope of the, their duties. So obviously, uh, the good senators here, uh, the good politicians here haven't decided, I'm sorry, the good politicians here in the Senate haven't decided to impede government officials, agents, military, etc. But they're focused on citizens, right? Us, civilians. The manufacture of assault, of a weapon, or large capacity ammunition feeding device by a firearms manufacturer for the purpose of sale to any branch of the U.S. Armed Forces or agency, state, uh, or local the sale or transfer of any assault weapon or large capacity ammunition uh, feeding device. Um, a person who is legally in possession of assault weapon or large capacity magazine on the effective date of the section and who does not any of the following within 90 days after the effective date of the section is not subject to prosecution. So basically, the things I'm going to list off, if you do them, um, you'll be okay. But if you don't, within 90 days, you're going to be a felon. So here we go. Removes the assault weapon or large capacity magazine from the state. That's your options. You could do that. Renders the assault weapon permanently inoperable. I don't even know what that means. Uh, maybe you take your gun and then you take a hacksaw to your bolt carrier group and that's good enough. Surrenders the assault weapon or large capacity magazine to the appropriate law enforcement agency for destruction. If eligible, registers the assault weapon as, provide, as a provided in subsection D. And this is important because a lot of people who have seen this bill say, well, why don't you just register the assault weapon? They're just asking for you to register them. Because if you register them, then you'll be okay. So let's get into the registration. To register an assault weapon that a, pers- that a person legally possessed before the effective date of this section, the person must comply with the following requirements. So here's the requirements. Submit to a background check conducted by the appropriate law enforcement agency to confirm that the person is not prohibited purchaser under 
18 United States Section 922 or prohibited possessor pursuant to a Section 133101. Unless the person is currently prohibited law from passing a firearm, immediately register the assault weapon with the appropriate law enforcement agency, safely and securely store the assault weapon pursuant to the rules adopted by the Department of Public Safety. What does that mean? Annually renew the registration subject to completing a new background check. Possess the assault weapon only on the property that the person owns or immediately controls. While on the premises of a licensed gunsmith for the purpose of lawful repair, while engaged in the legal use of the assault weapon at a duly licensed firing range, or while traveling to or from locations listed in the paragraph, if the assault weapon is stored and unloaded in lock container during transport. For the purposes of the subdivision, lock containers does not include the utility compartment, glove compartment, or trunk of a motor vehicle. So let me, let me outline that for you guys. You could have a gun, and you could register the gun. You could register the gun via a background check via law enforcement. But the only time that you could use the gun is while on a property the person owns or immediately controls. You can go to the range, but you have to go to a range at a duly licensed firing range. You could have it on the premises of a licensed gunsmith for the purpose of lawful repair. Or you could transport it, but you can't transport it unless it's locked in a case inside of a lock container during the transport. So you could have an assault weapon you just got to register it, and you essentially can't use it. So I couldn't go out to BLM with my assault weapon and use it to shoot targets. I couldn't take that assault weapon to a range that has uh, a USPSA match or a, a PRS match because it's not a duly licensed firing range, which would require you to get a duly licensed firing range, another government entity which is going to regulate what kind of range this could be on. Report the loss or theft of a registered assault weapon to the appropriate law enforcement agency within 48 hours after the loss of the theft uh, or should have been discovered. If a registered assault weapon is used in the commission of a crime, the, the, the owner is civilly liable for any damages resulting from that crime. Let me say that again. If a registered assault weapon is used in the commission of a crime, the registered owner is civilly liable for any damages resulting from that crime. I I can't even believe I'm reading that out loud. If a registered assault weapon is used in the commission of a crime, the registered owner is civilly liable for any damages resulting from that crime. The liability imposed by this subsection does not apply if the assault weapon was stolen and the registered owner reported the theft within 48 hours. But if you report in 72 hours and it hasn't been reported and that was used in a crime, then you're going to be held civil or uh, liable. Registered assault weapons may not be purchased, sold, or transferred except that registered assault weapon may be transferred to a licensed gunsmith for repair. Wow. All right, let's get down here. Assault weapons. Here's what assault weapons mean, and this is the context which is super important for you to understand. It means a semi-automatic rifle that has the capacity to accept a detachable magazine. Hmm. Hmm. Assault weapon means a semi-automatic rifle that has the capacity to accept a detachable magazine. That would be a Mini-14. That would be an AR-15. That would be a whole slew of guns that would be considered an assault weapons. Uh, assault weapon. 
a semi-automatic pistol or any semi-automatic centerfire rifle with a fixed magazine that has a capacity to accept more than 10 rounds of ammunition. So even if it's fixed, or a semi-automatic pistol with 10 mag or 10 rounds or more, then it's categorized as an assault weapon. A semi-automatic pistol that has a capacity to accept a detachable magazine and that has at least one of the following characteristics. Any capable function of protruding grip that could be held by the non-trigger hand. A folding telescopic thumbhole stock. A shroud that is attached to the barrel. A pistol grip or thumbhole stock. A detachable magazine outside of the location of the pistol. A semi-automatic shotgun that has one or more of the following. A pistol grip, a folding or telescoping stock, an ability to accept a detachable magazine, a shotgun with a revolving cylinder. A conversion kit, part, or combination. Basically anything. Let's just, let's just be honest. It's anything besides a deer rifle that has a fixed magazine. Is it considered an assault weapon? Man, 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 man. A lot of people are saying this. In fact, Mike Pannone just texted me and he's like, I, this mostly is symbolic. I think it's symbolic. But what kind of precedent is it setting in our backyard of Arizona when you have politicians and one party proposing unconstitutional laws against law-abiding citizens here in the good old state of Arizona. I talked to the mayor recently of Prescott, and the Prescott mayor told me that this town is going to be a sanctuary Second Amendment town. You got Davidson's right on the road, a distributor, great distributor of firearms. You have partners up and down, Abide Armory, who we work with often, LRK, Matt LRK, big shout out, who's my lawyer, who we work with often, and they're going to shut it down. Law-abiding citizens. Let's not even talk about um, Scottsdale, uh, Gun Club, um, the Cowboy Ranch, uh, known as Cowtown, uh, that has a full myriad of... uh, Cowboy Action Shooting Competitions, USPSA, and then Ben Avery right across the street. Dylan Arrow, the uh, manufacturer of the minigun, who has supported me at war 15 years ago, um, and we're trying to shut it all down. That is the left in this case, the Democrats, 12 to 0, partisan bill that has dropped in the Senate floor in Arizona. Man, here's what you need to do about it. You need to email right or left, and you agree, even if you're on the left and you disagree with this, which I, I would encourage you to as a, as a law-abiding citizen, email your representatives and let them know how you feel about this if you're in the state of Arizona. Even if you're not in the state of Arizona and you're a law-abiding citizen who's, uh, who believes in our Constitution, email these people. Senators Rios, Austin, Bradley, Contreras, Alessandro Gonzalez Mendez, Navarrete, Atondo, Peshlaka, Quazda, and Steele. Let them know. Man, what a damn shame. All right, recently we were asked about our EDC pack. I am working with a manufacturer to design our own EDC pack. I'm a big believer in extending your capability via your capacity. That's why I look at overland rigs. Overland rigs to me are an extension of your rucksack. If you carry a tourniquet on your person, which I do always, meaning on me, then I always want to have a bigger upgrade to that inside of my vehicle. Well, if you want to upgrade and improve your individual capability, 
carry a purse, a man purse, or, or a purse. Carry a European man satchel. Carry a suitcase. Whatever you need to carry, carry. Carry a backpack. I developed, based off of the Patagonia Stealth Atom, which is the 8-liter Atom, um, I developed a EDC pack, and we're getting it manufactured. I'm tired of making Patagonia money, uh, let's be honest. Um, an EDC bag built right, built low vis, meaning not a military type piece of equipment, is essential to everyday carry. If you haven't seen it already, please uh, subscribe to my prepper EDC or prepped EDC every day. Uh, if you go to Facebook groups and you type in prepped EDC or to, or go to my Instagram at mike.a.glover, at M-I-K-E dot A dot G-L-O-V-E-R. In my story highlight, which is the stories right above uh, or right below the profile, right above the post, you'll see that Facebook group. Join that group. It's a whole bunch of good people, law-abiding, who are talking about everyday carry. And you know it, it will only be a matter of time before Facebook shuts it down. But uh, let's party until we can. Can't anymore. Um, mobility pack guys and gals have been hitting me up and George, I feel sorry for him because he's getting berated, um, about this mobility pack that we used to sell that goes on the back panel. Uh, it's a back panel, uh, it goes on the back of your seat in your mobility rig. You could rip away the contents of your emergency, uh, bug out survival med kits, etc., And we're bringing it back. I, I'm doing a run with Cure tactical. I'm doing 100 of them at Tier Tactical, and I will sell them when we get them in stock. I'm not going to do a pre-sale on those, um, but I'll sell them when we get them in stock. I'm super excited because Tier Tactical is the best uh, tactical nylon in the industry, and the fact that we had the opportunity to use their sewers to make our bag. Um, big shout-out to Jason Beck, Chris Van Zandt at Tier Tactical. If you haven't checked them out, check them out at TierTactical.com. Outside the Waistband Tourniquet Holder is coming as well. I've given you guys a little bit of a, a preview on the Outside the Waistband Tourniquet Holder. Uh, I'm trying to be kind of covert about it. I didn't want to drop it until we started manufacturing it. We do have a provisional patent on it. We have the tooling done, and we're just waiting to kick off the manufacturing. Um, that will be coming live to you at 511 Tactical. I'm super excited about that because it's a dual-branded 511 Tactical item. Um, we will also be selling direct to consumer at philcraftsurvival.com. And it's an outside the waistband tourniquet holder that holds the Cat 7 North American Rescue Tourniquet. So you could have it on your battle belt, on your Molly, on your pack, uh, on your civilian belt, whatever you have. You can carry that and get quick, ready access to your tourniquet. Look, 30,000 accidents happen every year, uh, vehicle accidents only. Uh, you take the myriad of accidents, thousands of people die every year. And I always wonder, we can't track the statistic, but I always wonder how many people could have been saved with the use of a tourniquet. 90% of casualties on the battlefield now are being saved uh, with catastrophic injury because of the amount of medical equipment we have, including tourniquets, and the trauma training that we have to address traumatic injury. That should apply to civilians as well. Via an accident, you crash your UTV, you break your, uh, your femur, and, and you need to put a tourniquet on because you have internal bleeding. The list goes on, man. Packing wounds and stopping the bleed is super important. 
uh, on that note, we'll be in Colorado Springs. We get we got a training the Army, the Fourth Infantry Division. Big shout out to all the men and women serving in the Fourth Infantry Division. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys in a couple weeks. We'll be out Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, I'll see if I could do something at like a shop at uh, to do a survival seminar. But in the meantime, we're teaching Stop the Bleed and a survival seminar at 511 Tactical in Colorado Springs on February 27th from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Again, we will be in Colorado Springs, Colorado at 511 Tactical from 5 to 6.30 p.m. teaching Stop the Bleed. Come out and see us. You could register for that event on 511 Tactical's uh, Facebook page or check our pages out. We have them on our story highlights at Philcraft Survival on Instagram. I can't wait, man. We have a busy year of training. Just lined out of range for Virginia. We'll be in New Jersey. We're, we're coming to you all over the United States. Kevin Owens, uh, my senior in special operations and one of the most experienced snipers in the world is going to be working for Fieldcraft Survival. I'm super pumped about that because I love Kevin. He's a great compliment to a great group of men um, and women now who are um, teaching for Fieldcraft. And I look forward to the, the growth and you guys getting exposure to some of these men who have spent their entire lives in special operations in the military, um, giving back in training and med tactics, shooting, and the list goes on. Thanks guys for tuning in this podcast. This was a tactical review podcast, man. I love you guys, man. Thanks for the support. We get, we get, we just dropped this YouTube channel and pushed on it since the Sean Ryan podcast. We get so much great feedback from you guys. If you haven't already go to YouTube and click in the Philcraft survival channel and subscribe. As I say this, we're at 97.6 thousand subscribers. Thanks to you. Our podcast on iTunes, this podcast is in the number three spot of all podcasts, which apparently is about 900,000 podcasts in our category in government. We are number three on iTunes, which is a big deal to me um, because we're, it means we're getting out there, but it's because of you. If it wasn't for your support, if it wasn't for what you guys did for us, that we wouldn't be here in this position um, doing what we do, living a purpose-filled life, uh, giving back and doing what we did in the military, but now doing it for you guys, citizens, law enforcement, and military. I want to give a shout-out to my sponsors. Uh, my sponsors are the best sponsors in the world, TriarchSystems.com. Uh, Triarch Systems is a maker of custom pistols and carbines, you guys can check them out at triarchsystems.com and use the coupon code Philcraft one word to save 5% on any build. I just picked up the new Tri-11, which is their new custom double-stacked um, high-speed flat-trigger pistol. Man, I love that pistol. Uh, and big shout-out to Triarch, man. They've been supporting us since the beginning, and we love what they do. I also want to say a big shout-out to killcliff.com. Uh, Killcliff is a big supporter of the Navy SEAL Foundation, and we support companies that support nonprofits, especially in our community that are giving back. And we just got a resupply of that CBD, um, that CBD recover. Um, that's my favorite drink. There's three new flavors. One of them's mango. And I drink like five of them today. That's probably not good. Uh, but make sure you check them out. Killcliff.com. Use survival one zero to save 10% on your order. Um, and, and support companies that support uh, nonprofits. If our, our business plan is to support nonprofits and give back in some way, some form or fashion. Uh, and I think companies that do the same should be supported. Uh, on top of that, they make it an awesome and amazing energy drink. And I'm all about it. Um, also, this podcast 
is sponsored by, huh? Why, what are you saying to me? Oh, KC Highlights. I knew that. <laughs> George just stepped in the room. Uh, KC Highlights. Look, we've, we've uh, been fans of KC Highlights since Back to the Future. Let's, let's be honest. That, that Toyota Hilux that was in the, uh, which is now a Tacoma, that first uh, Back to the Future with those KC uh, Highlights. KC Highlights is a big supporter of Fieldcraft Mobility. We actually have a whole bunch of things planned in the near future, including uh, overland rigs and runs. Uh, March 14th, in fact, uh, we've actually reached out to KC Lights. Maybe they could be there March 14th at AT Overland here in Prescott, Arizona. AT Overland, which is uh, uh, Adventure Trailers Overland, uh, will have a Go Rigs and Coffee from 9 to noon on March 14th. Uh, and come out and see KC Highlights, see the team. Uh, big shout out. If you guys want to check out KC Highlights, check them out at kchighlights.com. Oh, we got a coupon code now. What? All right, we got a coupon code now. So uh, coupon code is SURVIVAL10, and you can save 10% on your orders from KC Highlights. Look, oh, man, that's actually a good discount. Code. Huh? No, not yet. I, I am, I am, I am. It, it, here's what somebody asked me recently. They said, hey, this is, I, I, saw the, I saw you guys are doing ads. Like, why are you guys doing so many ads? Well, because we have to pay for this podcast. Uh, we, we love providing the value add to you guys, but it's also a business for us. Uh, we want to provide the information, uh, and there's, we're not asking anything from you. In fact, what we do in these ads is we're giving back by, you know, they're sponsoring the podcast, but we're also allowing you to use the coupon codes and things that we believe in, like Casper Mattresses. Look, look, I'm not going to do another ad for Casper Mattresses. Why? Because I don't use Casper Mattresses. I use Posturepedic. If Posturepedic hit me up, maybe I'll do an ad for them. But we use companies that we believe in. One of those companies is Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM. I am a sponsored gunfighter for BCM. And it means a lot being associated and affiliated with some of the best tacticians in the world. Um, also, in addition to that, next week, we'll be doing a Bravo Company Manufacturer BCM video that's going to highlight some of the features of our company and some of the things that we do. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have some behind-the-scenes things. But make sure you check out Bravo Company Manufacturing. One of the best manufacturers of AR-15s, Paul Buffoni and all the guys, John Chang at, at BCM, do so much for us as a company. They, so, they do so much for law enforcement and uh, small business veteran-owned companies, including the uh, gunfighters that are a part of the gunfighter program. That includes me, gentlemen like Tom Spooner, uh, gentlemen like uh, J.D. Podinsky, uh, Pat McNamara, and the list goes on. So make sure you check out BCM. Thanks for tuning in the podcast, guys. We'll see you next time. Till next time, stay alert, stay alive.